I think that's the desire and passion in all of our hearts as children of God is to have valiant faith, is to uh, return to his arms unashamed. Wow. Love that message. Thank you so much for that ministry and psalm. Hey, today I'm going to begin. Um, appreciate And I appreciate, I am grateful for the opportunity to minister in the Word and uh, in, in Pastor's absence this morning. I appreciate his ministry so much. It's so rich and always is week after week after week. And uh, what, a, what a diligent shepherd we have. Amazing. But today I'd like to uh, begin by asking you a number of questions, if I might. Okay, now here's the first one. Think about this for just a moment. Are you normal? No. Next question. Do other people think you're normal? Now turn to someone near you right now and ask them, do you think I'm normal? Now, I know we could stay here the rest of the morning, and you folks would have a good time. I understand that, but we're going to move on. Now, you know, when we use the word normal, there has to be a standard to which we are making a comparison, right? Now, hopefully, that standard is a correct one. For example, if I were to use Eric as my standard... I'd say, yes, I'd say I'm normal if I were to use Eric as my standard. But I have to ask this, other, this additional question, is Eric a correct standard by which to determine if I'm normal? Yes. <laughs> now, a further question. If you're here today and you profess to know Christ as your Savior... Are you a normal Christian? Now, the next logical question is, what is the standard by which we can determine if we are a normal Christian? And yet another question. How about this? Is Friendship Baptist Church a normal church? I hear that low tone of laughing there. I hear that, okay? This is an unusual place in many, in many senses of the word, that, that's for sure. But in, in the sense of where I'm going today, is Friendship Baptist Church a normal church? Now, once again, in order to answer that question, we have to settle on a standard by which to compare our church, to see if it truly is a normal church. Now, I don't know if you know the name Vance Havner or not. Some of you older folk uh, will, I believe. Uh, what a preacher. Of bygone year, and and uh, such a just an old Southern preacher, uh, Lord used him in a mighty way all across our land, and he was a very witty, very very witty preacher. Uh, I told Charlie, you know, Charlie, Charlie, he is, is Charlie in here? He's not in here right now, is he? You know, he? Charlie has a real witty mind. Have y'all noticed that? Yeah, witty bitty. He's got a witty bitty. <laughs> I was kidding Charlie this morning about that. He said, man, you set me up. You told me I had a witty mind. And then you just really let me have it. Wit- witty, bitty mind. <laughs> All right? But Vance Hamner was a very witty uh, speaker. He, he could say something so succinctly. And he was a master, uh, a, 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 a wordsmith. Here's what he said. Now listen to this, if you will. And I hope this will help us to 
help you to understand where I'm going with all these questions today. He said this, speaking of churches in general, quote, The church is so subnormal that if it ever got back to the New Testament normal, it would seem to people to be abnormal. <laughs> now, isn't that a good way of putting that? Now, we understand that when he speaks, when Vance Havner gave that quote about the church, he, he's speaking of we believers who make up the church. So if we, if we were to tweak his quote a little bit and put that in there, here's what we would read. Believers are so subnormal that if they ever got back to the New Testament normal, it would seem to people that they are abnormal. Wow. Now, notice if you would please, and I'm sure you have already, what the standard of comparison is, according to Vance Havner, for both the church and for individual believers, of course, who make up the church. What is that standard? Can you look at the quote and tell me what's the standard? There you go. The New Testament, if it ever got back to the New Testament. So the standard for determining if I'm a normal Christian, the standard for determining if we have a normal church, the standard is the New Testament. Now, I think we would all agree with him. That is dead on. That is correct. That is the correct standard. So now, just for a moment, in light of all this, let's go back and reconsider ourselves individually. We have some more options now than what I started off with a moment ago. And I know I'm going to confuse you. You're going to be as confused as a termite and a yo-yo, right, in just a second here. But here we go. Am I a subnormal Christian or am I an abnormal Christian? If I'm a normal Christian, based on the standard of the New Testament, then I will be considered to be what? Abnormal. Is that clear as mud? <laughs> All right. Likewise, if Friendship Baptist Church is a normal church based on the standard of the New Testament, it will be considered by many to be an abnormal church. Now, that's just, that's the reality of it. I believe he's dead on again. I'd like for us this morning to take the time to look at just one passage. There are many, obviously. And consider the standard that's given to us of what a New Testament church is and the standard that's given to us of what a normal Christian is. Now, uh, <laughs> i got to tell you, there is so much in this chapter we're going to turn to in just a moment. There is so much. And I, I just want to say, what a blessing. The Lord has blessed me over the last several weeks with this passage. Uh, I've just read it and reread it and reread it. And it's just been... It's been good for my heart, been good for my soul, how the Lord has just opened up his word and spoken to my heart through this one chapter. Uh, actually, I was, Daniel hurt my feelings a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and share it with him now. Uh, but he, uh, I was telling him about how much, he said, what are you going to be speaking on? I said, I'm going to be speaking on Acts chapter 9. And I said, man, Daniel, I said, I have come across, the Lord has shown me so much as I was studying one day, getting ready for the sermon today, I, I, it just dawned on me, man, there, there's enough in this one chapter right here to develop a whole series. So I told Daniel that. I said, Daniel, I said, man, there's enough in there for a whole series. It just dawned on me. There's so much there. And you know what, his two, you know what he said back to me when I said there's enough for a series? He said, oh, me. <laughs> but I've forgiven him for that, okay? And I have tried my best to... Uh, streamline this and to zero in on 
one main truth, all right? If you got your Bibles, let's go to this passage that gives, that gives us a good standard for ourselves and for our church. Acts chapter 9, okay? Acts chapter 9. Now, it's going to be a lengthy reading, but it's a narrative. It's, it's a, I love the narratives that are given to us in the Word of God. I love the stories. I've just always, they've just always been intriguing to me, and the Lord has used them to bless my heart so many times. So we're reading a story today. It's a true story, obviously. But uh, as we do, I hope you'll zero in and put yourself right in the scene, okay? Try to slip yourself into the skin of some of the characters Howard Hendricks says that's one of the best ways to study the Bible is to try to get in the skin of the people you come across in the passage you're reading. And that takes a little time. It takes some focus to do that, doesn't it? But, but we can do that this morning, and let's, I ask you that, that you would join me in doing that. Acts chapter 9 is a very, very pivotal chapter in the Word of God. Uh, you'll see here just very shortly, it's the chapter where we read about the conversion of Saul. And uh, so uh, a lot hangs right here. Uh, a lot of... People's eternal destinies have been affected because of what happened right here, including ours, including yours and mine, because of the conversion of Saul. So here we go. Got your Bibles? All right. I think it may be on the screen. It is. So whichever place you'd like to read. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way... Whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now, that phrase right there, if, the, if you found any of this way, that is one title that was given apparently to the disciples of Christ, the followers of Christ. And I think we would be correct in assuming it's because Jesus had said of himself, right, I am what? The, the way. So... Somehow that title began to be used to describe people who followed the way. And so we read here that Saul was seeking for any who referred to themselves as members of the way. We might put it that way. And he was so intent in his persecution. Now verse 3. Let's go there please again. Now pick up. And as he, Saul, journeyed... He came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. 
And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And he hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Ananias, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And what a statement. Next verse. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul. Now stop for just a moment. Let's stop right there. This is just a neat thought. Okay. We can't know for sure, but can you imagine what it would have been for Saul to hear someone call him brother and can you imagine, we already know there was some fear uh, in Ananias' heart, but can you imagine him calling the man that he has known as the greatest persecutor of the church, calling him by the title, Brother Saul? Now we sing that song, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God, and I am. How about you? I'm glad for that. And the song says, you will notice we say what? Brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family. And right here, <laughs> what a precious moment that must have been when Ananias spoke those words, Brother Saul. <clears throat> at one of our good news clubs at McDonald Elementary School, this happened, and it was so precious. You know, a lot of times I'm guilty of saying things that I just assume everyone understands what the meaning is of them. And it's kind of like, I don't know if you call it churchies or or whatever, church, church language, and I, I have to be careful about that. Same way at club, especially with little children. You say things that you just assume they know. And so Charlie was there serving in club, and I made the comment, I said, now, and now Brother Charlie's going to come and help us with this next song or something like that. And it just dawned on me, those kids are sitting there thinking, is that man your brother? Now, my wife, they already know my wife and I served together there, okay? And so I, I, I thought, hey, I, I need to explain that a little bit. And so I said, boys and girls, I said, Charlie's not my, my physical brother like we're in the same human family. But I said, he is my spiritual brother because he knows Jesus Christ as his Savior. I know the Lord is my Savior. We're both children of God. We're both sons of God. And so that makes us brothers in the Lord. And I tried to help them understand why I called Charlie my brother. Do you know what happened, how the Lord used, I had no idea how the Lord used that. A boy, I think he was in the third grade, came up to me, <laughs> here's what he asked me. He said, Tim, Mr. Tim, I'd like to know how I can be a part of that family you talked about today. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Man, what a precious opportunity to share the gospel with a, with, a, with a heart that's seeking to know the truth. Amen. Well, anyhow. Called him Brother Saul. Let's go back to our passage there. I just want to share that blessing with you I came across in my reading. Brother Saul, verse 17, The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. 
And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill Saul. But their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, he attempted to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They knew who this man had been. Absolutely, they knew very well. But Barnabas stepped up, took him, and brought him to the apostles, and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, verse 28, And he was with them, the disciples, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. Man, there's so much good stuff here. wish we had time to stop and talk about all of it. It says in verse 29, And Saul spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed among the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Now we'll stop right there for our reading today. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. And um, as I said, there's so much here. We will not be able to take an in-depth look at both what a normal Christian is and what a normal church is. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restrain and, and just zero in on what is a normal Christian. What's the standard we see from this New Testament passage about what a Christian is? Now, go back with me, please, if you would, the beginning of the chapter, Acts chapter 9. And uh, here's a thought that just blessed my soul, kind of doing a little running narrative here as we get started. <clears throat> First verses say, man, Saul was pretty intent. He was very, very intense on this persecution. But I love the first phrase in verse 3. Look at it with me. And as... He journeyed. And as he journeyed. Now we know where he was going from. We know where he was going to. But I want you to draw your attention to this, this simple thought. And as he journeyed. Saul was going about his day. Totally focused on and occupied with his own agenda. That agenda consisted of one obsession. How to rid the earth of the disciples of Christ. Now, I say it was an obsession because verse 1, and I don't think I'm doing any harm okay, to the text here, because the Bible says in verse 1, Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter, murder against the believers, members of the way. 
It was an obsession with him. But the Bible says this, and as he journeyed, as he just went about his day with his own agenda, something happened. Now, Warren Wiersbe does a masterful job of explaining why Saul was so intent on persecuting followers of Jesus. Listen to this. I think it will be on the screen there for you. Okay, if not, I'm going to read this to you. Warren Wiersbe said this, Had you stopped him, Saul, and asked for his reasons, he might have said something like this, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. Do you expect me to believe that a crucified nobody is the promised Messiah? According to our law, anybody who is hung on a tree is cursed. Would God take a cursed false prophet and make him the Messiah? No. His followers are preaching that Jesus is both alive and doing miracles through them. But their power comes from Satan, not God. This is a dangerous sect, and I intend to eliminate it before it destroys our historic Jewish faith. That's the, that's the, the reason. Why was Saul so intense about his persecution of believers? But again, what's the phrase? As he journeyed. Think about this with me, folks, today if you would. Unbeknownst to Saul, as he journeyed. Are you with me? Unbeknownst to Saul, there was someone else in the picture. The living Savior. And he was seeking Saul. He was was seeking Saul in love. He wanted to bring Saul into a personal relationship with himself. And praise the Lord, the Savior found him. He met the Savior. Now, we do not read that Saul simply had a change of opinion as to the sect called the way. We don't read that. We do not read that he decided it was time for a change in his life. This this, this obsession's got to go. No, we don't read that either. No, here's what we see. Saul experienced an inner transformation. As he would later pen under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 5.17. What did he say? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Why could he say that? He had experienced it. (laughs) An inner transformation. Now, I'm glad to say today that the Lord's still seeking those who are unsaved to bring them into a relationship with himself. Folks, we can bank on that. We can bank on that. Jesus Christ is still seeking unsaved individuals to bring them into a relationship with himself. Luke 19.10, love this verse. Jesus said this, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He's still seeking. He still longs to bring unsaved individuals to himself, into relationship with him. There's an old song by Lanny Wolf. Uh, and he wrote a lot of good southern, southern songs, southern gospel songs. The title of it is called Seeking for Me. I don't know if you've ever heard it or not. Tremendous message, beautiful song. But the chorus just simply says this, talking about the Lord. He was seeking for me, seeking for me. Though I knew him not, still he loved me and was seeking for me. Hey, folks, if you're here today and you know Christ is your Savior, it's not because you found him. It's because he found you. He was seeking you. 
And if you're here today as an unsafe friend or guest or whatever, a church member, listen, great, the greatest news in the world, Jesus Christ is seeking you today. He longs to have a relationship with you. He wants you to be His child. Man, think about that. You may have walked into this service today with no particular thought of Christ. Today is just another day like all your other days. Just as it was for Saul as he journeyed. He had no idea. Friend, today, if you're here and you do not have, you do not know that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Unbeknownst to you, but maybe now the Holy Spirit's telling you there's someone seeking you. There's someone seeking you. He wants to move into your life. He wants to have a relationship with you. How? Well, good question. Say, Tim, I, I, I don't, I'm not saved. I'd like to be a child of God. How? Well, just real briefly. First thing we have to do is we have to realize who we are in God's sight right now. What our standing is. What is our standing? We're sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We miss the mark. There's none that doeth good. No, not one, Romans says. We can never be good enough. There's nothing about me that will cause me to merit heaven. There never has been. There never will be. I'm a sinner in God's sight. I was born a sinner. You were born a sinner. Folks, we came into this world separated from God. And that phrase that we hear sometimes about how we're all God's children, that, that's, that's so unbiblical. That's not, that's not biblical at all. As Paul said in Galatians, we are only children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you do not know Him today as your Savior... You are not his child, but he wants you to be. So, we have to realize our standing before God. We're separated from him. We're born in this world spiritually dead. That's what death is. It's separation. There's something between me and God, the, the maker, the creator, the Lord of heaven and earth. What is it? It's sin. It's my, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. But boy, the best news in the world, the best news in the world is God took the initiative and reconciled the world to himself. Did you hear that? God took the first step. He seeks us. He sought us. You say, Tim, the whole world has been... Yeah, Paul said there, it's, the world's been reconciled. In other words, here's what... Here, and we all understand this. I know most of us do. The, the way has been made for us to be reunited to God. We've been separated through our sin. But God has already provided the way... He's already done all that has to be done in order for us now to be reconciled to God. It's been taken care of. I love that little saying. got to share it with one time with a woman in Slovakia that was from a different faith. And she said, what's the difference between what you believe and what we believe? And I've told you this before. But as we were riding along in, the, in, her, in her husband's record, because my van had broken down, she got to asking me about why we were there and what we were doing. And she said, well, what's the difference between what you believe and what we believe? And I said, well, here's basically what it is. I said, I do good works. Because I am saved, because I'm a child of God, I said, you do, good, you do good works in order to be saved. And you know what she said to me? She said, oh, I see what you're saying. That makes sense. And folks, it does. Because Christianity is not what we do, it's what has been done. We take the word D-O and we put the letters N-E. It's all been done. It's a gift. And so if you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have to realize you're standing before God. But then, 
And I believe we have to be overwhelmed when we realize this truth. God has taken the initiative and provided a way for us to be reconciled to Him. It's already been done. How? Through the sacrifice of His Son on the cross of Calvary. Listen, when Jesus died on Calvary, (laughs) He paid the price for the sin of the world. That's just a, a thought that's almost... It's just hard to wrap our arms around. The sin of the whole world, every sin you've ever committed, every sin I've ever committed, every sin that anyone that's ever walked has ever committed, yes, the blood of Jesus Christ paid for every sin. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through what? Joining a church? No. Through being baptized? No. It's through the person Jesus Christ. Why? Because God commended His love toward us, and that even that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hey, Christ didn't just die in your interest. He took your place. He was your substitute. He was my substitute. He literally took upon Him Tim Coley's sin. All my sin. Jesus took that upon Him. And He paid it in full. And He did that for you too. Now, you say, Tim, I understand those truths. I'd like to be a child of God. What do I have to do? Believe. Believe. When the jailer came in and asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? What did he say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You acknowledge those truths and before him, I believe God. I believe you did that for me. I believe you are my Savior. I believe that today. That's how you can be a child of God just like the the Apostle Paul became a child of God. Of course, his name was Saul at that time as we know. Now, Uh, quickly, here we go. The New Testament tells us that, first of all, we're talking about what is a normal Christian. A Christian is one who has an encounter with the living Son of God. Simply put, it is an individual who has experienced a new and living personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus called it in John 3, being born again. Being a Christian is not about having religion. It's about having a relationship with Christ. It's not about coming to church. No, it's about knowing a person. And that's Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a normal Christian. You know, I think one of the most unusual times I've ever had of trying to share the gospel with someone happened here. Um, We had a service years ago. And the young people were in charge of it. And it was a very, very stirring service. Very, very moving service. And we had a visitor with us, a young man, a young adult man. And he was so moved emotionally by what he heard and saw that day from our young people. He was just overwhelmed and literally said in so many words, I want to be a part of what's going on here. What I heard and experienced today, I want to be a part of that. Well, I thought, man, that's amazing. And I thought, boy, this guy is ready. I'm going, we're going to slip over to my office and we're going to talk for just a few moments. And folks, I've got to tell you that as we sat there, and I began to try to ascertain if he knew the Lord as his Savior, he didn't. Now, he had been moved emotionally, and he was pumped up and excited. He said, I want to be a part of what this group is doing here. But in a very kind and gracious way, we sat and talked, and he came to the realization, and I did too, that he had never invited Christ into his life. 
As we talked and I shared, had the opportunity, and he listened very carefully and very kindly, I shared with him what I just shared with you. How can a person know Christ as Savior? And on that day, he graciously declined. And he said, I, I want to think about that. I tried to follow up with him. I went to where he worked one day and just, just to greet him, let him know I still loved him, still interested in him. And, 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 and you know, maybe one day, <laughs> i tell you what would really be precious is to see that young man walking in our church one day and tell me and tell us, I know Christ is my Savior now. <laughs> That'd be exciting. Point I'm, the reason I'm sharing that is because of this. Folks, we can be stirred emotionally and even get pumped up about something that's going on inside of a good Bible-preaching church and not know Christ as our Savior. Not be a normal Christian because we have no relationship with Christ. Hey, listen, it's happened here. I'm not trying to make anyone doubt their salvation. That's never my intent, nor Rick's whenever he addresses these things. But it's happened here. It happened in our churches, our prior churches we served in. Good church members that are active and busy and serving and have been serving for years walk down an aisle and turn to me and catch me off guard and say, Tim, I have never been saved. I realize today I am not a child of God. Hey, listen, in order to be a normal Christian, you have to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to know Him as your Savior. Now, before we move on and leave this part of the story, can I give you a word of encouragement? Okay. Some of us here today have loved ones or dear friends who, as Saul was, they're living their lives focused on and they're occupied with their own agenda. Some of us are burdened for people like that. There is no thought of Christ as far as we can tell in their life. Some of them may even be antagonistic towards us and what we believe. But don't forget, brother and sister in Christ, just as happened with Saul and countless others through the ages, though they have no idea that they are being pursued, Jesus Christ is seeking them. Listen. He's not seeking them because they're your family members. He's not seeking them because they're a dear, lifelong friend of yours. He is seeking them because He loves unsaved people. He wants them to have a relationship with Him. So listen, if you're here today and say, but Tim, it's been so long and there just seems to be nothing going on in the life of this individual or this family. Hey, that's all right. You can bank on this. Jesus Christ is pursuing them. The Word of God says so. And He is pursuing them just like He did Saul and just like He did you and I. Now, Keep praying. Let's just keep praying for those folk. Amen? Amen. Now, another description that the New Testament gives us in this passage of a normal Christian is this. Not only does he have a relationship, a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ, but number two, his life changes. When a, when a person comes to know Christ as Savior, his life change, a normal Christian has life change take place, right? Amen? I mean, the New Testament teaches us that. Now, I'm going to quickly run through and again, I wish we had time where I could park and talk about these things. They're, these are a blessing. Let me give you quickly six changes that took place in Paul's life right here in this chapter. Here we go. Verse 11. He prayed to the living God. Verse 18. He was obedient. He got baptized. Verse 19, 26 and 28. He gathered together with and spent time with the disciples. Those very people that he hated and that he sought to persecute. Now he's spending time with them. 
Verse 20, he served the living God. He preached Christ. Verse 22, he grew spiritually. Verse 29, he was bold in his witness. Hey folks, one of the evidences of a normal Christian is life change. Yeah, and by the way, is it any wonder that he wrote the rest of 2 Corinthians 5.17? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. What else did he say? Behold, all things are become new. All things have passed away. Man, Paul had experienced that. Life change. It's the evidence of a, of a normal Christian. Now, here's, here's a thought I want to zero in on just as we're coming down. <laughs> Listen, please, very carefully if you would. Why did Saul experience these changes? Yes, uh, yes, we've already talked about he met the Lord. And that happens. But I believe much of it goes back, and here, here's where I want to land. I believe much of it goes back to the response of his heart. And we find that response back in verse 6. You want to go there with me? And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, he addresses him as deity, what wilt thou have me to do? Would you, would you read that aloud with me, please, everyone? That phrase, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? One more time. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, Saul realized that he was no longer his own. He now had a relationship with a new master in his life that he wanted to please. Listen. Listen very carefully. That is the picture of a normal Christian. A normal Christian's heart expression is, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? <clears throat> I'll say it this way. Hey, this man who had been obsessed with his own mission, he now has a new mission. This man who had been, as we hear so often, the captain of his own fate, he now has a new captain. One of the earliest heart expressions of a new convert, of a normal Christian, is this. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? One of the earliest expressions of a normal Christian, of a new convert, is Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see, I'm afraid that in many of our fundamental Baptist churches, if we asked what a normal Christian is, we would hear things like this. Well, it's, it's someone who attends church faithfully. Well, it's someone who adheres to a, a list of standards. Well, well, it's someone who's busy in the activities and the ministries of a church. That's what a normal Christian is. And listen very carefully again. While all of these have their place, they are not what makes a normal Christian. You say, well, Tim, what does? Here's what I believe, according to the Word of God, the New Testament. Here we go. I think you're going to have it there before you. A normal New Testament Christian is one who foremost is continually attentive to his relationship, his walk with the living Christ, and whose continual heart's desire is this, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? That is a normal Christian. And we see it right here in Acts chapter 9. We see it in the New Testament. The standard of the New Testament. 
Attorney David Gibbs, we listened to a message of his just recently. Some of the men, we were, we were gathering a meeting and listened to one of his messages. And he said this. He described it this way. It's living with our hands up to God. That's what a normal Christian life is. It's, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I, I'm not in charge. You're, you're the captain. You're my, new, you're my new master. Lord, what, living with my hands up to God. I like that expression. And that's what we see Saul doing here. Now, if you'll jump over with me, please, let's look at another man very briefly in verse 10. We've already read about him, the man named Ananias. And we're going to see in Ananias another standard, so to speak, of what a, new, of, of what a normal Christian is. Okay? His name is Ananias. Now, you've got you to love the title that God gave to Ananias. Are you impressed with this? Are you ready? Are you still with me? Are you? Look, please, if you would, at verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus. Wow. Boy, that's impressive, isn't it? A certain disciple. <laughs> it doesn't say, and there was a famous disciple. It doesn't say there was a highly respected disciple. It just simply says there was a certain disciple. My point is this. God uses ordinary people. Praise his name. God uses ordinary people. Someone said God's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. I love that. That's powerful. And we see here in the New Testament a man who was exactly that. He was available. Now, we know very little about this disciple named Ananias. While many have heard of Saul, who became the great Paul... I would dare say that, relatively speaking, few people have ever heard of Ananias. And among those who have heard of him, I believe few could recount for us what part he played in the history of the early church. But, what a crucial role this certain disciple played in the life of the great Apostle Paul. As Rick sometimes says, we would call Ananias a kingmaker. We don't know much about Ananias, but if he hadn't been in the picture, things might have been different. But he was available he was available to God. Now, there are many precious things that we see about this disciple called Ananias in this passage. I believe he shows us what it looks like to be a normal Christian. Now, are you with me? Let me share just three thoughts that I see here real quickly. Number one, his feet became the Lord's feet. Are you listening? In verse 11, the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the street which is called straight. Verse 17 says, And Ananias, Ananias went his way. Ananias' feet became the Lord's feet. I've shared this with our Good News Club team several times. And there's a song that I love, that I play sometimes right before we go over there to the school. And it just simply says, My hands are the Lord's hands. My feet are the Lord's feet. When we walk into that campus, onto that campus and into that school building over there, we are representing the Lord. Well, Ananias did that. His feet became the Lord's feet. But not only that, his hands became the Lord's hands. In verse 12, the Lord says to him, Saul has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hand on him. Verse 17 says, Ananias went and he put his hands on him. Folks, just simply this. Ananias' hands became the hands of the Lord. And then his voice, his mouth became the Lord's mouth. Like we talked about a moment ago, he breathed those precious words to Saul, 
Brother Saul, the Lord that appeared to you has sent me to minister to you. Man, his mouth became the Lord's mouth. Now, here's a truth worth pondering for just a moment. Hey, by the way, did you catch this? When the Lord told him who he wanted him to go minister to, was Ananias just real fired up and excited about it and ready to go, man? Okay, just had to hold him back. No, 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 no. What did he say? Uh, Lord, uh, uh, I have heard from many about this man. <laughs> I know what he did over there, and I know what, he's came, what he came here to do. In other words, this is a simple thought here. Guys, listen to me. I hope this is encouraging to you. Ananias was afraid. Could I say it this way? Do you know that's part of the normal Christian life? It's normal for a child of God. To have fear. To be anxious about something the Lord's telling you to do. That's pretty normal. I believe it is. He experienced it. But you know what? He went on in spite of his fear, didn't he? He trusted and obeyed. He trusted and obeyed what the Lord told him to do. Now, the hallmark of a normal Christian is not how much of the Bible he knows, but how much of it he obeys. So often pastor challenges us with with that truth. It's not what we know, it's what we live. That's the normal Christian. It's what, how much of the word he obeys. And Ananias is obeying. Now, if you've got your thinking caps on, all right, I've got a question for you now. Ready? It's going to take a little thought. Hope you've been listening. <laughs> Do you see anything in Ananias, who is older in the faith, that is similar to to what we learned about Saul. Do you see anything in Ananias' life who is an older believer than the freshly born, newborn child of God named Saul? Do you see anything similar between those two? Did you catch anything? Are you thinking about it? Here's what I see. All right? Go to verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, here we go. And he said, behold, I am here, Lord. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of when Saul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Hey, listen, I said a few moments ago, one of the earliest expressions of a new convert's heart is, Lord, what will you have me to do? Listen. One of the most consistent expressions of a heart of a normal Christian, as he grows, he still has that desire. Behold, Lord, I am here. What would you have me to do? Do you see that? Do you catch that? It wasn't just in the heart of that new convert. Lord, what would I have me to do? But it's in the life of a seasoned disciple. Behold, Lord, I'm here. Lord, what would you have me to do? I kind of think about it this way. Ananias is really saying, I'm reporting for duty, sir. Behold, I'm here, Lord. I'm reporting for duty. The Lord says, here's where I want you to go. Ananias says, yes, sir. The Lord says, here's what I want you to do. Ananias says, yes, sir. And the Lord says to Ananias, I want you to speak to that man. And Ananias says, yes, sir. 
Why was this Ananias' response? Why when the Lord spoke to him and he heard his name being called by the Lord, why did, I, why did Ananias say, Behold, Lord, I am here. Here I am. I'm ready. Why? I believe this. I believe, I believe it's because he never forgot that he had a relationship with a new master and he wanted to please him. He never got over the fact that he had a new master in his life. So his heart cry, after all the time, however long it was that he was saved, his heart cry is still, Lord, what would you have me to do? Wow. Man, folks, listen. That's what a normal Christian is. It's someone who lives continually with that heart desire. Brother and sister in Christ, Oh, how easily. And I tell you what, this is the doggone truth, <laughs> if I can say it that way. How easily we lose the reality of our relationship with our new master, and we begin to substitute other things, good things, religious things in its place. Does that happen? Oh, my goodness, yes, it does. We so gradually move from saying, Lord, what would you have me to do, to saying, you know, I think I'll do this. Years ago, I had a pastor who, uh, <laughs> he had a way of things, doing things that I, I didn't appreciate as a young man. Uh, I really kind of had some contempt for him, to be honest with you, because I thought he was using something as a tool of manipulation <laughs> in my life and in the life of other people in the church. Because a lot of times whenever he would present a challenge to us, maybe individually or as a church primarily individually, maybe to do something or to get involved in a ministry or uh, whatever. If our, if our response was kind of to hold back and not respond and maybe even say, no, I'm not going to do that, he would say this to us. I'll tell you what. Would you pray and ask the Lord what he wants you to do about this? I didn't like that. I didn't like to hear him say that. <laughs> And in my, in my heart, just as an immature guy, I just kind of thought, he's just, he's just, he's playing with us. He, he's, he's manipulating us through this thing, trying to put us on a guilt trip. But I gotta tell you something. And I need this as much as anyone today. The older I get, the more I really do believe his question was a very valid one. We, as the people of God, so easily can move from Lord, what would you have me do to, I think this is what I'm going to do. Oh, we don't ask the Lord what he wants us to do about things. We don't go before him in earnest prayer saying, Lord, behold, I'm here. I'm reporting for duty. What would you like for me to do, Lord? Years ago, and I had been raised with that type of a, of a, of a pastor, where he would say that often, he would challenge us, hey, would you go and pray about it? And so in our first church, I thought, well, you know, pastor did that, I guess I, I, guess I need to start doing that too. <laughs> so here I am on staff, we're having choir rehearsal, it was on Wednesday nights after church, and I was standing up, you know, getting ready to start the rehearsal, and one of our tenors, and this is not a, a slam against tenors, okay, there are some good tenors, all right, there, there really are. Uh, but he, he came up on the platform and he just said to me, he said, Tim, he said, I'm not going to stay for rehearsal tonight. He said, I'm just so tired. I'm going home. Well, now, 
I appreciated the fact that he told me he wasn't going to stay. That, that, was, that was commendable. But when he said, you know, I'm just tired. I think I'm going to go home. All I said to him was this. I said, well, brother, I'll tell you what. If you've asked the Lord what he wants you to do tonight, and he's given you the green light on going home, that's fine. Well, there was no harsh words. There was no attitude. He just turned and walked off, left the church. I started choir rehearsal. In a few moments out of my peripheral vision, <laughs> I saw him coming along the side, and he came right back up and got in choir. Stayed for rehearsal. Now, what, I, what I'm saying today is this, folks. How do you and I determine what we're going to do as Christians? When the call comes out for nursery volunteers, how many honestly have asked the Lord, Lord, what would you have me to do? When it comes to your faithfulness, our faithfulness in a ministry in which we're involved, as that dear brother came up on the platform that day, whether it be choir or some other ministry, children's ministry, whatever, how many of us, before we vacate that place, honestly pray and say, Lord, I'd like to know what you want me to do. I'm here, Lord, reporting for duty. what's, What's your pleasure? And even with the matter of church attendance, when it comes to church attendance, what do we use? What do we use as the basis for making the decision as to whether or not we're going to come to church? How many of us Honestly, pray and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Now, please believe me. I am not trying to manipulate you. I'm just saying the heart desire of a normal Christian is, Lord, I'm getting my orders from headquarters. I'm asking you. I'm not asking Rick. I'm not asking Tim. I'm not asking Daniel. I'm not asking my parents. Lord, I want to know, you're my master. What would you have me to do? I'm through by repeating this statement. Here we go. A normal New Testament Christian is one who foremost is continually attentive to his relationship, his walk with the living Christ, and whose continual heart's desire is this. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Are you a normal Christian today? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, would you please speak to one of us today? Would you please come and speak to me or Daniel or someone else? Young lady, young man, older individual, please don't leave today. If you said, Tim, man, I've never experienced that personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but I know I need to. I I want to know that I'm on my way to heaven. Don't leave today with that unsettled. Come and talk to one of us. If it's a girl, we'll have you talk to one of our ladies. Young man, talk to our man and get that thing settled because Jesus Christ is seeking you. He loves you. All right, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for how good you are. We sang it today. I have been blessed. Lord, it's so easy for us just to get in the the routine. It's a good routine, so to speak, of church, church life. But Lord, how I'm afraid rarely we, we stop and say, Lord, what would you have me to do? Would you have me go across the street, spend time with that unsaved neighbor, Lord? Would you have me pass out a track here at this place where I know people are watching? Lord, what would you have me to do? 
Oh, Lord, help us as your people. Help us, help us, Lord. Convict us. Maybe we've left that first love. And maybe that was part of the first love. Was a hard attitude of saying, what would you have me to do? And Lord, we just need to come back and say, Lord, no, I want to start all over again. I want to get back to that place where I say, Lord, I want to know your will about this. I want to know your leadership in this. Oh, Lord, may we live with the desire to please you. The smile of God. Lord, help anyone here that's unsaved that they might speak to us today before they leave about their eternal destiny. Lord, help them to do that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you folks so much. I, uh, I tell you, I, I love, and I don't mean this in a boastful way by no means, but I just, I love the Word of God. It's precious, isn't it? Isn't the Word of God precious? And you know, when you get in it, and you just soak on it, and God